Hello everyone and welcome to Public Health Musings. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Kingori, a faculty member and a public health researcher at Ohio University. We're happy you could join us this week. Today, I have one of our recent MPH uh, Master of Public Health graduate students as my interviewee. And I'm glad to introduce you to Henan Gebre, who is a recent OUMPH, Ohio University Master of Public Health graduate. She's originally from Ethiopia. She also has a BS in public health education with a minor in sociology and biology from the Utah State University. She has worked in various capacities throughout her academic and professional journey. Her undergraduate research experience and interest in infectious disease control and prevention led her to pursue the Siemens Foundation PATH Fellowship Program at PATH in Seattle, Washington. As a research fellow, she worked alongside scientists who were dedicated to developing alternative rapid diagnostic tests that would revolutionize quick diagnosis of soil-transmitted helminth in the third world countries or resource-limited countries. Inspired by her experience at PATH, Hinon sought opportunities that would allow her to make a difference in her home country, Ethiopia. So prior to studying her MPH, she worked as a project assistant at Splash, which is a nonprofit organization headquartered in Seattle, in Addis Ababa, mainly providing project management support for Rotary, USAID, Hilton, and other funded projects within the Splash water um, sanitation and hygiene operation. During this role, she had the opportunity to work with Ethiopia's Ministry of Health, Education, and other local and international non-government organizations. Henan's research interests lie broadly in the fields of maternal and child health, water and sanitation and hygiene, infectious and lifestyle-related diseases. And as a graduate student at Ohio University, she has been recognized as a 2020 Outstanding Graduate of the Year, and she has also completed a two-year AHEC Scholars Program that focuses on diabetes and quality healthcare delivery in rural and underserved communities. Henon plans to continue working in public health sector to improve the healthcare systems and also outcomes of underserved and underrepresented opportunities and hopes to expand her skills in the fields of epidemiology and health informatics. Thank you for having me, Dr. K. Wow, congratulations, Henon. So you just recently graduated uh, with a Master of Public Health from our Ohio University Public Health Program. We are so happy um, that you matriculated successfully and you also received that award for the Outstanding Graduate Student. So as a student of color, how do you feel about graduating at this time against all the current political, economic, and also other, you know, with all the health issues going on um, currently in the United States as well as globally? Graduating this year has been a bittersweet moment for me. Um, Again, many of us had to quickly adjust to the change that were made uh, during fall semester due to COVID. And we were also not able to celebrate our accomplishments uh, with our friends and family the traditional way. And with even the current economic conditions, it's a bit hard to secure, you know, jobs and internship opportunities. But I mean, living in a pandemic world also uh, adds to this challenges. However, despite the circumstances, we were able to finish 
strong and that is a testament to our effort and dedication. And um, before I talk about how I feel about the current political environment, especially with the issues pertaining uh, racism and systemic inequality in this country, um, I would like to share my personal um, experience first. Um, as you've already mentioned in my introduction, I was an international student um, and I was born and raised and lived most of my life uh, in Ethiopia. And the reality is I didn't like recognize um, I was black until I came to the U.S. And I know few people uh, from other African countries that share these experiences as well. So for me, I had to learn to fit in these labels and also understand the history and implications of uh, living as a person of color here in the U.S. And I've lived in this country for a few years now, and I'm constantly learning and educating myself on uh, these issues. And with that said, you know, I'm not uh, blind to the fact that, you know, racism exists and systemic inequality has impacted, you know, people of color and has created, um, you know, health, social and economic disparities overall. For example, I mean, in circumstance we're in with the pandemic, uh, you know, black people and other people of color are, you know, at a higher risk of getting sick and dying from COVID. So um, as a woman, you know, an aspiring global citizen, a person of color in the field of public health, I take it upon myself to understand and address, you know, racial disparities and inequalities in healthcare in the workspace that I'm in uh, to galvanize change and promote a healthy nation and ultimately a healthy world. Wow, I definitely relate um, to some of what you're saying, um, you know, as a faculty of color, um, coming here from Africa as well, and having to be put in all these uh, different groups um, and to determine where we fit in, um, and also looking at the juxtaposition of some of the social, cultural, structural barriers and the impact they have on the health of our communities. So with your sociology and biology background, um, why did you decide to minor in those two distinct fields? And how do, you, do they relate to what you know, you've done uh, in public health with maybe your research or your coursework? Yeah, this is, this is a good question. Honestly, I didn't think about going in for biology and sociology when I started school. But I did like take advantage of my undergraduate experience to explore other classes outside of my major. So I did public health for my undergrad as well. And I've always loved science and I enjoy learning. So that's how I ended up adding biology as a minor. And I also took sociology 1010 my freshman year. And it really made me curious to learn about human behavior and how people coexist in society and the different factors that impact our day-to-day -day lives. And um, to answer your second question, I actually find sociology to be, you know, closely related to public health because um, as public health professionals, we're always talking about health behaviors and how social economic status, ethnicity, beliefs, religion, 
uh, you know, cultural factors uh, impact health outcomes. And similarly with biology, you know, we're able to understand, you know, the ideology of diseases, which is very important for public health work, especially when looking at it from, you know, preventive interventions and policy efforts. So that's wonderful that you highlight those two distinct fields and that adds, um, you know, more value to why public health is such a critical field. And it's just not one singular area, but one that really incorporates and allows for us to look at health issues from a multidimensional perspective. So you have done some work here in the U.S. as well as globally um, with different topics such as soil, transmitted helminth, with PATH um, uh, while in Ethiopia, and as well as diabetes in rural, rural communities. Um, could you tell us uh, briefly about that research work um, and what motivated you to get involved with that? Like I said earlier, I was involved in, you know, molecular research through the classes that I was able to take as an undergrad. And shortly after I finished my uh, undergraduate studies, I joined the Siemens Foundation PATH Fellowship Program. And there, as a research fellow, I was a part of a larger effort to fight diseases that plague, you know, third world countries due to poor sanitation. And as we know, like there are hundreds and thousands of people die every year to treatable diseases caused by soil transmitted helminthiasis. The numbers are higher for children as well. So when I say STH, uh, the most common ones that infect humans are, you know, roundworm, whipworm and hookworms. And these worms cause various health problems. Uh, and in my research, particularly uh, focused on developing ELISAs and a multiplex rapid diagnostic test, such as a lateral flow test that can detect low intensity soil transmitted infections. And the implication of this work is that, you know, we want to revolutionize the diagnosis of STH because the current method, which is the Cato cats, are based on counting eggs from stool uh, and we look for you know that um, the bugs through the microscope basically so this process is labor intensive and it also does not detect uh, low intensity infection so the work that i was a part of uh, was really important and um, to help us you know address the issue that we're facing in terms of STH globally and also to improve treatment to control and spread of the disease. And for me personally, you know, as a scientist or a researcher working in a lab, it was very ambitious to see that this tool will change lives because the impact of the tool um, is measured at the point of use. So that means understanding the community factor is very important. And this experience, this particular experience, um, you know, what a, was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. And most importantly, it triggered my interest in community-based research and interventions, which led me to experience, you know, working with Splash in Ethiopia and also to pursue my MPH later on. And, um, my work with Splash, which, you know, provide wash solutions in the urban poor 
in developing countries with, you know, providing, you know, project mandatorial roles and engaging in community-based research, which really provided me the opportunity to get that hands-on experience working internationally and at home. And so it was, uh, you know, tremendously fulfilling to apply my academic knowledge and skills working in, in my own country. And now, like fast forward to where we are, you know, I was uh, involved in various research areas, including diabetes. And my interest in diabetes actually stemmed from, you know, my exposure through the EHEC Scholars Program, which uh, focuses on diabetes and quality healthcare delivery in rural and underserved communities. And this program, uh, has really allowed me to engage in, you know, classroom-based, didactic, and team-based clinical and community experiences, which opened my eyes to the rural and Appalachian cultural experience, research in diabetes, and, and so on. And so through this program, I actually earned a certificate as a lifestyle coach for diabetes prevention. And I have some experience uh, facilitating, you know, CDC's National Diabetes Prevention Program here in Athens. And, um, you know, this experience has also been very uh, rewarding. And it also allowed me, you know, to see, you know, the challenges rural communities face in the U.S. are, you know, very much similar to that of, you know, developing countries. Great. So I wanted to go back to the work that you did in Ethiopia. And... You know, you are originally from there, but then you relocated to the U.S. How was that experience of going back and working with these communities? Um, did you have to have some sort of reentry? Did you have, you know, community leaders sort of introduce you? Was it an easy process of immersing yourself in the community? How how did you go about doing the work that you did there? I think this is a really good question. Um, I, it wasn't easy for me to go back uh, to work after, you know, uh, spending some time here in the U.S. and getting used to the culture and the system here. And um, I mean, going back was obviously amazing, but, you know, the things you learn in, in the classroom are not um, are different when you are in the workspace you know especially in the field of public health we really need to understand you know the community dynamic and going back um, I had to be very flexible and I had to adjust to the community culture even though I was born and raised in Addis Ethiopia capital we are very uh, diverse and we have different cultures um, you know different regions share different um and traditions. So I really have to be open-minded to understand different community dynamics. And of course, the people I worked with were very helpful in helping me understand and, you know, get acclimated to the culture back again in the work environment. So when you look at your communities in Ethiopia and the work that you have done with the uh, Appalachia and rural communities here in the United States, what, what do you see as the similarities and differences between Ethiopia and Appalachia? From my experience back home, um, everyone is really close-knit and something that is very similar to what I see here as a rural community and something that can be taken as an asset as well in the community. I've also noticed similarities that are more related to, you know, lack of, you know, resources 
or lack of adequate infrastructure, if you're looking at it through the lens of, you know, the built environment and certain culture and lifestyle similarities as well. And, you know, that strong sense of community and traditions are very unique here. And that is very much similar uh, back home. Awesome. We'll be back after this message. So you've also done some work in um, with the Ohio University Reproductive and Sexual Health Initiative as a research assistant, and you know you looked at some data on human papilloma virus and other sexually transmitted infections. What are your thoughts about those health issues, especially among young people? Yeah, sure. Uh, one area that I haven't really, you know, um, that I don't have extensive experience in was, you know, STI and SDH. So I was very excited to uh, be involved in working with, you know, the RSHI initiative. And I think we have made a tremendous progress in, you know, STI prevention, diagnosis and treatment in general. But there are still some gaps in these areas and in spite of the efforts that we've made we still have a lot of work to do in educating people about STIs and also increasing efforts to encourage testing and STIs are still health issues that are prominent among you know young adults especially those in you know the college setting so for me, uh, it was very interesting that STI knowledge and awareness among young people, you know, has very little uh, effect on, you know, their behavior to engage in risky sexual activities. So that, that was very interesting to observe. But if we look at it with the lens of, you know, a rural community, uh, we know that, like I've mentioned earlier, uh, rural communities are known for, you know, their close-knit social network. Although, like I said earlier, it is considered as an asset, uh, community asset. In the co context of, you know, STIs, it becomes a barrier for individuals to privately seek, you know, um, services. And, you know, people are afraid uh, to seek treatment because they don't want to um, you know, their status to be disclosed to people they know. And so there are some challenges in that regard as well. And I mean, there are also other factors that contribute to, uh, you know, the increased rates of STI issues like access to healthcare in rural areas, including affordability and physical accessibility of healthcare. Uh, the, you know, opioid or drug pandemic. Uh, there are many different factors that contributes to this issue. I think it's very important that we come up innovative ways to curb STDs, STI rates in the U.S. by focusing heavily on, you know, behavior change interventions. I say this because it's, STI prevention is very tricky and hard because it relies heavily on, you know, behavior change related to uptake and adherence to preventive methods. So I think uh, moving forward, we really need to, um, you know, emphasize on, put emphasis on behavior change interventions. Um, so as a young person yourself, how 
do you think you would want to receive this information about STI prevention? What do you think your peers are interested in? You know, how, how best can we reach out to them? That's a good question. Education is definitely important and um, creating awareness uh, at a college campus is, uh, is very important and that should always happen just to encourage people and to normalize the conversation you know around these topics and so uh, also providing you know free testing on campus that can be something that might you know encourage people to seek testing you know um, and opening up and having a discussion whether it's with your friend or with your partner or with your family and I think that goes a long way because this area is very um, like I said it's behavior change is a big part in the prevention efforts for SDIs. So we really need to listen to people's experience and therefore we need to do more research to understand why people are not seeking treatment or what the reasons are on their part for why they're not getting tested or adhering to treatments. Awesome. So with all the work that you have done um, globally in Appalachia and elsewhere, uh, could you describe some of the most interesting findings? Um, you know, what stood out? What inspired you? Yeah, sure. Uh, for my uh, capstone research, I actually conducted a cross-sectional study using the data from the 2017 Behavior Risk Factor Surveillance System, also known as BRVIS. Um, this And the research was to understand the association between diabetes and social determinants among adults uh, living in the U.S., and my research finding revealed that, you know, among many factors, food insecurity was a significant predictor of uh, diabetes. And compared to adults who were food secure, the odds of having diabetes was higher among those who were food insecure. And food insecurity gaps exist between you know, urban and rural areas, obviously, but when looking at it through the lens of diabetes, food insecurity does not discriminate where you live. And so uh, the implication of this study is for, like to help further understand the importance of social determinants of health to address health challenges like diabetes and the need to introduce you know, culturally uh, relevant strategies to address existing gaps. Awesome. So I know that your future plans include um, you know, furthering your knowledge in epidemiology and health informatics. Um, could you tell us why those two distinct health fields and what else uh, in your training aspirations are you looking at? So I'm excited, you know, at the prospect of contributing my skills, you know, gained through various experiences to improve the health systems and health outcomes of underserved and underrepresented communities. And um, I can truly say from the experiences that I've had, which are in you know, various areas of public health, I feel like I found my niche in um, public health that is in epidemiology. I think epidemiology is you know, the heart of public health. And I'm also interested in the opportunity of gaining uh, experience working at the intersection between health and technology. So that is why I'm interested in exploring health informatics 
And with how the healthcare system is going, we know that we are introducing telehealth and telemedicine. And the years to come, I know technology is going to be embedded into our healthcare system. So it's very important that we, you know, that we have an understanding of how to coexist and how to apply the skills that we have learned in in the future. So I wish you definitely the best with that. Um, and you know, you can always, um, you know, reach out to us for any kind of assistance. And as we wind up, what advice would you give a student interesting, interested in pursuing public health or a student who's graduated just like you um, during this time? So public health is, I know you've mentioned this before, Dr. Kangori, but it is a very broad discipline and it can take you into a different direction if you let it. And so my advice for uh, perspective public health students or those interested in pursuing a career in public health is to try to identify public health issues that, you know, they're interested in and the population that they're most concerned about. You know, narrowing these down would definitely help in the long run and it will help them become expert in these areas. Another advice is, you know, I know when you come into public health, you're passion, your interest is, you know, to help people, right? And so putting that passion aside, we also really need to think about, you know, how uh, you can use and apply what you've learned in the real world. So, you know, what, like just investigating what talent is needed in the future is uh, very important because like I said, uh, we always have to keep in mind the ever-changing healthcare system. And through my own personal research in, you know, the public health sector, I know, you know, there there are going to be shortages in, you know, the behavior, uh, health uh, and epidemiology and, you know, the technicals uh, or informatics. So it's always important to do our research beforehand uh, to see where the gaps exist so that we are better equipped um, to fill in those gaps. And I'm not saying that, you know, there are other areas that are less important, but we need to know that, you know, these are the gaps that exist so that we can contribute and address and fill in the gaps. And lastly, what I want to say is I think as professionals in this field or perspective, um, students wanting to pursue a career in public health, one thing that I, I think we should keep in mind is we, you know, we always make a commitment to, you know, not only to the betterment of public health, but also individual health. And like I said, as a public health professionals, um, you know, whenever we think about public health implication, I believe that we, you know, take ourselves out of the picture. You know, we preach public health and I think we forget that it also applies to us. And yes, public health is a profession that emphasizes on the public good and well-being, but it also starts with our individual selves. So uh, behavior change is hard, and we know that. And and as professionals, we're trying to promote you know healthy lifestyle, and that's obviously not easy. So for me, the philosophy, my like my philosophy and approach has been to always you know, lead by example, 
Um, and what I mean by that is whatever professional or career path that I'm on within this field, I want to, you know, test try what I'm saying. Um, it's very easy to tell people to wash their hands, but do we wash our hands? You know, it's always easy to tell people to eat healthy, but do we eat healthy? Or it's also, you know, easy to tell people to exercise at least 150 minutes per week, you know, to reduce the onset of, you know, various diseases. But I always try to ask myself, do I take out time out of my day to, you know, put in those minutes to stay physically active. And so just having that conversation with yourself is also important because your um, you yourself can also change as like by being a model for other people, uh, for your friends, for your family. And I feel like it creates that ripple effect, which will you know eventually uh, reach a larger um, population. So just keep that in mind when you're um, in the field. Awesome. So thank you so much for joining me today and uh, definitely wish you the best as you progress um, and as you do work with the, uh, with the Diabetes Institute. And we'll definitely call on you again um, to give us an update on what you're doing. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Cave. And thanks for having me here. And thank you so much to our listeners. And we hope you'll join us again for another time of Public Health Musings.